Hello and welcome to the Imad Show, where we get to sit down with entrepreneurs and creative spirits from around the world. This week, I get to sit down with Andre Gershaw, an American entrepreneur and chef living in Dubai. Andre helped grow the Baker and Spice brand to over 14 stores across the Middle East. He's also founded Kismet, a new restaurant concept located in downtown Dubai. His aim is to try and change how we look at and value food in the region, help build a community, and to support local organic farmers. In this episode, we get to discuss Andre's adventures from opening a solar-powered eco-hotel on a remote island in Africa at the ripe age of 20, to experimenting with creating the best Indian paratas. I hope you guys enjoy the show. So let's get straight to it. We're sitting in his beautiful restaurant in downtown Dubai. That is, by the way, just to, just for those of you who are listening, I think, number one, it is a beautiful restaurant, but I hope it is as tasty as it's beautiful. We have to get you in for an actual meal. <laughs> I have been here for a meal. For breakfast? Not for breakfast. Okay, well then, that's the last missing sort of ring in the Olympics <laughs> of this restaurant we got to get you in for. Because <laughs> the last time I was here, it was an afternoon and I was working here. It's just like a beautiful spot to work out of. The only issue is that coming downtown after like 6 p.m. is just too much traffic. Well, listen, we're working on building a direct monorail inside of Kismet. <laughs> we're just, we're just actually, this podcast is going to act <laughs> as our crowdfunding mechanism Please. to build a monorail directly inside of the restaurant. That would be amazing. No, straight, um, straight from Dubai Mall. Straight from Dubai Mall, yeah. No, look, I mean, the amazing thing about being in front of Dubai Opera, which is where we are right now, um, is that when, the, when there's a show on or when there's any sort of performance or screening or gala or event, um, you know, Kismet offers itself as a, as a wonderful extension of that evening. Um, and we get a lot of people walking in. And obviously, in the summertime, when it's literally hotter than the inside of the equator. Oh, literally. Oh, yeah, yeah. Today is quite hot. It's um, disgusting. Hot yeah, yeah. It's a little bit difficult to deal with. But, you know, people are quite brave. Tonight's a, a busy night on a Thursday. So we're happy to have guests in. But um, please come join us for breakfast soon. Perfect. Dude, so let's let's get started. And I want to know a little bit about you. Where where did you come from? Where how the hell did you go about like rampaging on the Dubai food scene? So uh, I'm I moved out here about ten years ago from New York City. Um okay. and I I I answer this question a lot, but I, I, I left out such a salient detail and I only realized it very recently when somebody asked me, but what was the first thing that actually brought you over? And uh, at the time I was living in Montreal, I had just sort of finished up um, university, which I, I really took my time. I took a year off to go to culinary what, school. What you oh, culinary school. Uh, but but I McGill. Started, yeah. McGill has a culinary school? No, it does not. I actually, I left McGill for about a year and a half to go do two things. Number one was to attend culinary school um, and get some great work experience with a company at the time based in New York City called Thompson Hotels. Okay. Oh, and a huge hotel chain. It, it is a good hotel chain. Um and the other thing was to bizarrely um, go help a distant relative open up an eco-friendly hotel on an island off of an island off of Madagascar, which is a crazy story, um, perhaps for another podcast. But I'll tell you... I, I, I want a little bit of that story. <laughs> well, I, well you know, I would just sort of left college. I wasn't really happy with my college experience. I wanted to take a sabbatical. And of all things, I was sitting with my grandmother. And my grandmother... Um, who was this wonderful, you know, she lived till 98, she passed recently, but she had this amazing ability to give perfect advice every single time, despite the fact that culturally we had nothing in common. Yeah. And she's like, you know, and it was kind of like one of these great immigrant grandmasters, like, well, why don't you just call your cousin? 
And I was like, that's not really going to solve my problems right It's now. like the universe had sent her for you just to give you the right message L- at the right time. Literally. And she said, why don't you call your cousin? He's also doing something in hotels. Um, and I was like, no, that's not, that's like terrible advice. And I love you, you <laughs> cute, beautiful old woman. But that's not, and of all the things, I actually did end up calling him. And he's like, listen, if you buy a ticket out here, you can come and help me open this hotel. So I get a, a ticket from New York to Paris, from tar- Paris to um, Antenarivo. Yeah. From Antenarivo to Nosy B, which is an island, and then a cigarette boat, which is like a very slim uh, boat that you can basically only take, you know, three Kleenex and a pair of sunglasses on, <laughs> to um, uh, a very small island off of Nosy B. Um, and the, the, the local city is called Hellville. So okay. it's like, welcome to Hellville. Brilliant. Right. And I get there. This is all sounding amazing. No, no, way. it's amazing. And I get there and I'm like, oh my God, you know, like what the hell have I done? I've never been out here. I don't even know this cousin at all. And I get there and he goes, hey, how are you? You must be, uh, my grandmother's name is Rochelle. You must be Rochelle's grandson. Um, get settled in because I'm leaving tomorrow for four months. What? Right. And I go, what the hell are you talking? I just got here. And he's like, yeah, no, it's the, it's the monsoon season. That's why I'm leaving. I'm like, okay, fantastic. He goes, but don't worry. Um, the general manager of the hotel will be here to look after you. And in this almost like evil James Bond moment, out of the water comes this like 6'10", gorgeous, ex-Christian Dior French model. Who what? Right. Who now I'm stranded on an, on, on an island with for the next four months. <laughs> This and is I'm the like, general manager? Yeah, this is the general manager. And I'm like, wow, this is, I, I don't, what is the appropriate reaction at this point? <laughs> and he's like, anyway, listen, have a good time. Let me know if you need anything. And he literally gets on the same boat that I came on to take the boat to a plane, With to another plane to go, yeah, out, that's it. And and I and it was actually an amazing experience. And I, and I ended up building um, 45 eco-friendly solar-powered bungalows which um, we developed and then it was sold to one and only. Okay. Um, I helped get them online with Expedia and Orbitz and all these other bookings and um, helped welcome the first guests. It was sort of an incredible first uh, hotel How building How old experience. are you at this point? So this must have been... So I'm 31 now. Right? Yeah. Well, I was in the middle of university. Middle of university. So exactly. I must have been 20 or 19 at the time. No experience. Yeah, ver- very little experience. And... It was sort of an, like a very surreal experience because, and I remember thinking like, wow, you know, like people would be like, wow, you're so lucky to be stuck on a deserted island building an eco-friendly hotel bond with, with this model. Like bond model. And I, and I, it was actually, honestly, by like the fourth or fifth week, I had like three volleyballs named Wilson. <laughs> And like I was kind of going crazy. Um, you're literally taking every single Hollywood film that you've seen at this point. Yeah, and it, trying to live the situation. Right. It's like everything that you think, like Blue Lagoon. You know, that, isn't that <laughs> yes. like Blue Lagoon where they're like, you know, like they have beautiful blonde babies yeah. and somehow yeah. are not malnourished. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it, you know, like it was an amazing experience. It totally reset a lot of things for me. And what did it start making you think differently about the world, having gone to this island? with this general manager in the middle of nowhere, opening up resorts that you've never worked on. In, like solar at this point, I don't think is a big thing. No, and, and it's cer- a lot it, of... No, it certainly wasn't at the time. And and he was very sort of... E- he was very avant-garde in that, in that respect. Because eco my, wasn't my cousin, a big yeah. like, narrative. No, eye, not right? at all. And and the island, you know, the island in that part of the world off the coast of sort of, you know, the, the, the eastern coast of Africa is very beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, Mauritius, as an example, for those of you who know that area, is not very far. 
um, you know, Tanzania and Stonetown, yeah. which is becoming a very popular tourist destination, is also very close. But um, I think what was interesting about that particular experience is that none of the materials that were used to build the physical bungalows themselves could be shipped in, which means everything had to be taken from the island. So, like, we were laying the baseboards from trees that we had cut down. Wow. Which is crazy. Um, so, th- I, I really learned about, I think, craftsmanship. Um, sustainability. You're getting that sustainability narrative that you're building out now as yes. well. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I very would, early on. I would love to tell you that I that I have incorporated as much of the sustainable practices that I saw. But you know, for them, it was not it was not hashtagable. It was just common sense yeah. and cheaper. Yeah. And it made sense. And so I got to work with some like amazing carpenters and like brilliant. You know, I, I don't even think they would refer to themselves as architects or engineers or designers or any. But they but they really were, and they deserve that that name. But that that was sort of the amazing experience and that was one of the first really intense hotel experiences that i had at 19 yeah i can't even imagine yeah like, being shipped off to an island yeah self self-inflicted but um that was an amazing experience and 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 i really enjoyed it um i went back to mcgill i worked at a bunch i always had a job i was always working i always kind of wanted this idea of my own money yeah um and restaurants and hotels i think are the greatest accidental stage for human interaction. I think I totally fed off of that through a college and I still enjoy it um, very much so as part of the, the restaurants that I run now. I, you know, I run the Baker and Spice group for the region. Um, Kismet is my sort of new baby for creative food and, and that's an amazing platform for that. And I think, you know, one of the things that really compelled me to come out to Dubai is that I was working in Montreal after this whole experience. Yeah. I made a, a concerted effort and a decision. I was like, you know what, I, I really want to dedicate my life to hospitality. And I had applied to a bunch of jobs in the UK. I, I went to high school in London. And I wanted to be in London after that time period because yeah. that, that was at 19. Um, and so I finished up college experience. And I remember as I was packing up my apartment, I, I, I wanted to get back to uh, London. And I, and I had like a kind of like a loose interview um, with a hotel called the Connaught, which is like a very storied, well-known, yeah. old, classic, grand dame hotel in London. And that was kind of it. And like, it was barely an interview. It was kind of like, yeah, I'll, I, it was a pity coffee that someone had given me um, after 9,000 emails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got a call on my phone from like some crazy plus 971 area code. And it was like, hello, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about an opportunity in Dubai for a hotel. And I, and I really, at the time, I thought it was a, a friend of mine who was playing a prank okay so i was like alex go piss off (laughs) in much more vulgar language (laughs) and i hung up the phone and i got a call 60 seconds later back from the same area code and it was like hi this is not your friend this is a serious job interview are you interested yes yes 100 percent. and um i was like i'm so sorry i really (laughs) thought this was someone else let's please let's restart and so i did this interview and they were like okay well we want you to come over and um as an uh, assistant general manager for a restaurant called Oku, which is a Japanese restaurant Japanese that was in H Hotel. Um, I, is it? I think so. I believe you. <laughs> um, and uh, that was sort of my first job off of the A380 boat. Okay. Uh, and um, I think, you know, it's funny because somebody asked me recently, they're like, how did your resume get to that person? And I never thought about that. I never thought about that because... The guy that called me was a guy named Kone Teyunis, who, who I still speak to occasionally, who is a food consultant, and he um, is from Finland. And he must have at some point received my CV from one of the thousand people I was harassing in yeah. London. So somebody in London at some point sent an email out 
didn't have a job posting, but decided to forward it on to this guy and dramatically altered the next 10 years of my life. It was your grandmother. Probably. (laughs) Uh, Honestly, that would, that would be the best full circle (laughs) thing to find out. But somebody, somebody just, you know, literally pressed the forward button and radically changed the next trajectory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even my fiance who I met in Bahrain while opening a restaurant, like everything, everything about the next 10 years was decided because somebody pressed forward. Because somebody decided to do one like kind two second cost them nothing piece of charity, and it's it's incredible, and that changes your own personality when you think about that. Because a lot of people are not aware, mm, mm. like it's a huge thing the the butterfly effect that's totally. just one small decision can make on another person's life that's 100%. so insignificant to you, and just having the awareness of being open to doing that is it's 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 honestly game changing. And and I and now like think about you know like so now I've opened up a lot more restaurants and hired a lot of people and that's changed other people's completely and it's like the the ripple effects of such a small like somebody pressed forward and then like 10 years later hundreds of things happened and it literally is that small and and people always ask me like well why did you come out here you're from new york because they have this kind of idea like you know like why would anyone leave where they're from to come somewhere like here and you know like one of the things i always rally on about is this idea that i don't refer to myself as an expat but rather a citizen and that mm-hmm. is the distinction between those two th- ideas is that you know you both expat and citizen complain the only difference between an expat and a citizen is entitlement and are you going to get off your ass and do something so if you're not happy that That's there's a not very enough very interesting way of looking indie at indie music scene well then figure out how to raise money and you know throw a concert freshly ground and sounds r- exactly um, if you're not happy about the art scene here how are you going to dedicate yourself to doing more art exhibitions and like how can you get involved with Sharjah Art Biennale and how can you get involved with uh, Tashkeel and how can you get involved with um, what's the uh, art pop up that happens every year in Bastikia Art Dubai art, uh, uh, Asika uh, Asika or, um, and you know like you're not happy with the independent movie scene well Cinema Akil is a great Akeel. example Bethena, Bethena right and so, you know, those are people who sometimes they happen to be Emirati by accident, but they really are representative of, of the citizenry that is going to inherit this country. Um, so I, I love that you think that way. And I completely am in agreement with you. Um, and it needs to be grassroots. It needs to be that people make that decision actively. And I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to make this my home, I want to change something. Right. And I want to get up off of my ass and do that. Right. And, and I think the problem is there's so much entitlement. There's so much like, what do you mean? Like, what's in it for me? And I'm going to come here and make a ton of money and buy Rolexes and then leave. Like, everyone comes to this country from an expat perspective. Yeah. Or many people come and they think it's a giant ATM. Completely. Yes. And like, I'm gonna, it's transactional. I'm going to come. I'm going to work. I'm going to take I'm out money leave. and I'm going to leave. And I'm like, well... And those, I mean, the, literally the bones of those people is what built Chexiot, you know, like <laughs> those, you know, I really, I have very little patience for that type of behavior. And, and it's not to say that I'm not critical of, of the country or, or the city, but I mean, I'm also critical of the United States as an American. And I'm also, you know, my, my parents are French. I'm very critical of France right now. Yeah. But being critical and being entitled are separate things and being, in, and, and, and being entitled and not contributing is also a separate thing. And so I think between those three ideas lies a very important equation that allows us to be better citizens. And for, as a restaurateur, that means building a restaurant that I can afford to go at four times a week, four times a month, six times a month. Yeah. It means building a place that allows for, you know, all the staff that are working here to take one dish that they grew up with and put it on the menu. Um, and that was sort of the foundation of why I decided to do Kismet and, 
um, you know, supporting local organic farmers. It's a, it's a nonprofit initiative that I do through Baker and Spice. There's a lot of reasons in which way I take that philosophy and that angst and manifest it. I want to go back. Important. I actually want to go back to that. Sec- the one thing that you mentioned about everyone who works here has a dish on the menu from where they were, from where they're from. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, it's so, you know, I realized that when we were processing the visas for um, the restaurant, everyone has to bring in their passport, right? And it's getting picked up by the PRO officer and who then takes it to all of the relevant municipal bodies. And I realized there were literally 27 different colors. And I was like, wow, this is a great photo. And so we took a photo and that sort of inspired me to do the next thing and the next thing. And the whole thing was about what is the food that you grew up with? What is it that you miss the most? How do we take a bit of home and make this home? I love it. And like, you know, I, like I go through my menu and we have Italian arancini. We have Peruvian potatoes. We have wild green za'atar salad from the Lebanese chef. We had warm carrot salad. We have tuna tataki, which is Japanese. We have hummus with churros, which was a blend between Mexico and Lebanon because the two heads this of the kitchen were Mexican and Lebanese. Um, we have Nordic beef tartare based on the pop-up that we did. We have a, a dish called layover in Poland. Um, <laughs> which is like everything that you should eat if you have a 72-hour layover in Poland. It's because we had this Polish chef. And, and she was laughing the other day because she's like, I can't believe that I trucked my ass all the way from, from Poland to only to make too. pierogi in Dubai. <laughs> and I was laughing because it's true. And, and I think that, that, like, that really is the beauty of the city. That's where it really works. And, and, and it's a quiet thing. It's a subtle thing. It's not loud. It's not flashy, but it is everywhere. Um, but you got to pay attention a little bit more. And I think I, that that's really what the city should You be need to on. find your kind of rhythm. Yeah, 100%. Um, that was sort of an all-over-the-place narrative of how I got from New York to Dubai. <laughs> um, but since you've been in Dubai now, um, you have... Okay, so Kismet, how many bakers and spices have you opened? Jeez. Uh, okay, so we have 14 total across the region. Um, and another four in pipeline before the end of the year. Um, and, and we, and luckily we, this is the first year we started franchising out. Okay. Um, and one of the, th- you know, we were, I think my partners were so hesitant to franchise because franchises are often done very poorly and we are so very over franchise saturated. And so we wanted to build this training program where at no extra cost, we would run the business for the first two years. Oh, wow. No matter what. Wow. And that training wheels program has been really successful. And the, and the truth is our franchise partners have been very receptive to that because, you know, when you take a franchise license for like one of the generic big ones, like, I don't know, Starbucks or, you know, uh, well, Starbucks, you can't because it's all shy, but Subway sandwiches, for example, yeah. you apply for the franchise. There's no really like on the ground training. That there's they, no they, onboarding. They kind of deli- just, right. There's no yeah. onboarding at all. Whereas we wanted to be the opposite of that. We wanted to, we wanted to make it clear that we really cared about what, you know, like people not just eating, but being nourished. Um, how that was going to support the local economy and how much time it takes to find, you know, like local, like, you know, at, at Baker and Spice, we only purchase local seafood. There's no salmon on the menu until this year because there's finally a fish farm that has organic local practices oh, wow. and the feed is hundred percent plant-based and there's no chemicals in the water. And we went out to go see the fish farm in, uh, uh, Ziggy Bay area, you know, uh, in, in Russell Kema. Um, and you know, like it takes time to build those things. And I think we wanted to build a slightly self-righteous franchise system um, that was focused on creating a product that people actually valued and needed. I'm tired of creating things that people don't need. True. Um, we have a lot of those here. We have a lot of that here. And, and, I'm, and I'm militantly against it. And people know that. And, you know, it's like, I'm not shy about sharing those views at all. Everybody in the food business knows that I'm a little bit difficult to deal with in that particular sense. 
Um, but, but we I, really wanted to build something, something that matters. There's something to be said, right? Like I've been, so I, I struggle with going. So I love when I go, for instance, I go to France or if I go to Italy and if I go anywhere else and you go to the market and it's like local tomatoes, local cucumbers, local, I don't know what. And then you make a meal from that. Right. You're, you're sustaining the ecosystem that is there from the farmers to the restaurateurs to the people that are living there that are making their money. And the food tastes better because it's like farm to market. It's like really quickly done and it just is, is much more fresh. How do you get that mentality more? Imbe- like, how do you embed that in mentality here? I mean, I, look, I, I think awareness over the last five years has, you know, trebled or even quadrupled. Um, and that's the good news, but I don't. I don't think it's about that sense of awareness. You know, like here's an interesting problem that is connected to that issue. So Michelin has not come out here, and, mm-hmm. and when you're in the restaurant business, you always have a, an opinion about the Michelin Guide, whether you think it's bullshit or whether you think it's valid or whether you think it only, you know, rates European restaurants or whether it doesn't. But one of the things that they always look for and why they haven't come in here is because it, there's an idea in, in French language called terroir, which means does it is it from the place that it's from? (laughs) And, you know, they don't want to come to Dubai and rate how good a Japanese restaurant can be in Dubai. They want to come and rate some sort of derivation of of Arabic or even Gulf or Khaliji food and say, okay, is this authentic? Does it have a sense of place and time that is relevant and authentic? And I think people aren't really looking for that yet because... The default is what's in the UK, what's in Europe, it comes and back what's to the, in the conversation States. that we were having just before this this right. So, started. so here's the interesting thing: if l- let's say, for example, that you wanted to charge ten dollars for a meal here, and let's say that ten dollars was very expensive, people are less likely to spend that ten dollars here for the same exact meal, the same exact product, as they would be in one of the major cosmopolitan cities mm-hmm. in the world. Now, Agreed. why is that? It's because this is idea that it must be better there. And it isn't often. You know, like what is required to produce great food here is the same thing as what it is required to produce. It, you know, like no shortcuts, commitment to ingredients, and passion. That's pretty much it. Like those are the three basic things. Everything else can kind of cascade under that. Everything else fits neatly into one of Don't those ideas. Too. And why is it that we devalue things that are local and put a high premium on things that are imported? You go to the supermarket and you see it everywhere and it, right. just, it drives me insane. And, but I do think it's changing. And like, you know, we're in our seventh season now of the farmer's market, which we run uh, during the winter season. Mm-hmm. And that's in Business Bay. And people have really started to embrace it. And there's two types of people that come to that farmer's market. There's people who shop. And then there's people who are coming as an, uh, you know, an event. Got entertainment and 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 it's the entertainment thing and they bring their kids and it's about education exactly. and, it's about that. and that that's a hundred percent what it is because you know if you were an affluent family 50 years ago in the uae you had enough money to send your kids out now if you're an affluent family it's about bringing a brand here and giving that to your kid true and so the third generation will be well if you're really an affluent family you have enough money that your kid is well-educated and has been exposed enough to create something. And we're seeing that. We are, absolutely. There's a massive proliferation of that. Um, You know, local, homegrown, local, homegrown, homegrown. Homegrown is massively a big buzzword over the last two years and will continue to be so. And and I think as, and I love that, 
if, if, if I can give myself credit, but as the Hamdan generation ascends, which is the people that you know I have made friends with and have grown up, who, who are going to inherit their, their father younger, and mother's yeah. companies and who are going to start taking over the country um, and putting their personal stamp of leadership and vision and discipline and growth, um, we're, we're going to see a lot of changes, and I think it's going to happen naturally where people start valuing terroir and locality. We see that already, mm. and I think that that narrative is getting stronger and stronger. All the time. Um, exactly. So, actually, with that, I wanted to ask you about two things. One, actually, is, is a point where I was just in Mexico City, and I went to this restaurant co- called Piol. Um, amazing. Okay, Mexico, one of the best cities that I've... Mexico City. By the way, my head chef used to work there, and that's why... Uh, At Piol? Yeah, yeah, 100%. One of the best... Uh, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. One of the best... Uh, countries that I have been to, uh, cities, Mexico City, that I've been to in terms of food, mm. going from like the most expensive to like sitting oh, next to great. everyone and just uh, People don't that. understand how bohemian Mexico City I is. I love it. I would right. move there it's amazing. in a heartbeat. It's like Architecturally, it's, so it's fascinating. Insane. None of it, it's insane. Um, it, it's an amazing, amazing city. And so the thing that I wanted, the, the thing that I found super interesting was um, there were a couple of restaurants. There was this one restaurant called Rosetta, where, which changed their menu every single day. Wow. Yeah. It was incredible. And, and, and like the, the flower market guy to, to the way that they thought about the menu to like the little like bakery shops that they had. Like it's just the whole idea of it was amazing. But what I found fascinating at Puyol was the way that they go about it is like we want to show you Mexico and we're going to take we're going to break down each city in Mexico and we're going to take the essence of each city and that's the experience that you're going to have over the course of eight or nine course meal that you're going to have and one of those like that that's what i remembered weirdly when you showed me your menu and you were talking down you know it's like it's on a different scale where like now we're going away from particularly the city although i think there's a like i th- if i'm not mistaken ashti or one of the newer chefs what they did was they did they they did a little road trip and they got like um, honey or, or bread or something and then they created a menu off of that and they started that um, and I love that about what your menu was which was taking it to a different level mm. but still having that narrative right I, I think people need to be personally connected to the dishes it, it also just sells better um, people cook it better they're a little bit more careful when it's your dish on the menu and you're the one cooking it yeah you just you just you're more cautious you're more aware of how you do things and I think you know people you know the the exposure level to certain, like India is a perfect example. Yeah. When people are like, I don't like Indian food. I'm like, well, what, how could you possibly, what does that mean? It is a massive m- geography. Geography. Yes. It's a big piece of land. And there are, it's hyper regional, right? So there's like tons of small pockets. Like I wanted to just do one experiment, which was, can we do a bread encyclopedia of India? Yeah. Just the breads. Like I became obsessed with paratha for about like, nine months and so all I good. wanted to do was learn all the difference of Prata from Hyderabad to Kerala and why it's different and how they do it and, and what's the flower and this and it's the same thing with Mexico Mexico's hyper hyper yeah. hyper regional it's got a ton I think it's got every possible microclimate you could think of and I think a lot of people associate Mexico with kind of like Tijuana or like Cancun Can, or like over here Tulum Tulum right <laughs> which is now you know the new millennial hipster spot yeah. but, um, and, and I think it's the same thing sort of with a lot of places on earth is that there is a tremendous hyper regionality that needs to be explored and, and I absolutely think that that's going to happen for the Gulf and, and for the Khalij soon I, I, th- I hope that it does sooner than rather than later because mm. I think that there is a lot 
um, to come out of here. Right. So you have champagne grapes from Saudi, of all places. What? You have roses, amazing quality roses from Oman. And there's an entire rose auction that happens every year, which is like a fascinating thing that needs to be filmed. Um, uh, actually, Mohammed Kazim, one of the guys that was on, on the podcast, goes to Saudi in Al Taif, which is where they make like 80% of the world's uh, rose water and wow. rose oil. Well, there and you go. And he actually films that, and and he does trips where people from here. So I I know I know him and Ali when they started Tamashi. They're good friends of yeah. mine, and like I've known them for ages. And they're a perfect example of sort of the citizens of of the UAE so that I like to to showcase. But literally just yesterday, last night at like one o'clock in the morning, I was sitting down and I was having a conversation with 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 Muhammad. And I'm like, dude, please start a podcast. Yeah. I want to hear the stories. Like, if you listen to his podcast, it's just incredible the amount of knowledge that this guy has. Yeah, like the stuff that he can tell you historically he's an amazing amazing and i mean he's an amazing ambassador for saudi arabia completely and um you know like i definitely value and look at saudi differently from in from an antiquity perspective i have a total respect for the amount of archaeological uh uh, wealth that they have um a hundred percent because of him and um you know he's an extraordinary historian he's a great traveler he, he really, honestly, Saudi tourism should hire him. It really. I be the don't greatest. know why they have not. I don't know. Yet. I understand how they have not. He really is the greatest um, Saudi ambassador for tourism that you could Literally, ever wish for. Completely. But um, no, I, I think examples like that totally highlight that. And I think once we're able to connect the regionality of these nations, um, of the Gulf, and, and, and value the fact that some of the things that are coming out are premium products. So, like, why is honey from Yemen and cedar honey so highly valued? And how do we take something like that and create a gourmet or a gourmand perspective of it? And the same as roses or pomegranates or champagne grapes or, um, you know, the, the dried fish mehiawa that comes from yeah. Bahrain or Kuwait or, you know, like muskuf and all of these t- different types of ingredients that are heritage ingredients and create something from it. But I just think people aren't ready to eat that way yet. But there's, there's, there's something in me that just, like, I find it fascinating how much of the culture and of just the region that you've taken in in the, in, in the last 10 years <laughs> because you get two people two kinds of people over here right one who come here and the, the go to Barasti for 10 years exactly fuck sake yeah like yeah it's, and that's then they kind of leave yeah I mean I, and they it, haven't gone out of the do you know what I find extraordinary people are like yeah I've never had a conversation with an Emirati oh I'm like how I find that ridiculous and I and I know what you know like the, the obvious rebuttal is well they're not very approachable and like where would I possibly see them and the truth is, there is a little bit of that. Um, th- there is a little bit of aloofness. And, and a lot of it actually comes from uniform, from clothing. Yeah. Is that you feel someone's unapproachable because they're metejba, or you feel someone's yeah. unapproachable because they're dressed a certain way. And I, you know, like I, I used to go and argue at Dubai Municipality all the time to get all my permits done. And there's a woman there named Fatima who I, who I now I've seen well seen i know over the years now for about five years and she's completely covered i mean you cannot see anything yeah. and every time i go to see her i'm like oh it's great to see you just to see if she's going to react to that <laughs> and one time on the last time i saw her she goes how do you even know it's me and i'm like same watch <laughs> and she started laughing and i was like this is a human who i'm never going to make actual eye contact yeah. with who i've built a friendship with who knows me who like is you know, seemingly well-educated and normal yeah. in terms of, if we were talking on the phone, I would never know. But she's completely covered and that is entirely her choice and that's totally fine. And you just have to try a little bit, you know? Like if you learn 10 local slang words and you use them at the right times, 
it's amazing. Like I, one of my favorite tricks to play on, you know, like I don't know if you know this, whenever you come in through immigration, before you get your, um, before, this was before smart, smart gate gates. and all that, but whenever you go to immigration, there's always all these local guys screaming over their booths and then laughing. So if you wait for the right time, all you have to do is laugh with them and I would always do this and I would laugh at the same time that they would have <laughs> and then they would be like, oh my, wait, does he speak Arabic too? like that? Like, I don't, what are you like? What are you playing at here? Yeah, just to, just to kind of mess with them and catch them off guard. But it's like, you know, if you speak even two or three words of Arabic, people look at you like, oh, how did you learn our language? Arabs think that Arabic is a secret language yeah. that only they know. <laughs> And, it, and it, I find it ridiculous because it's like if someone came to America, I was like, I'm like, oh, how did you learn English? Whoa. You know, thank you. <laughs> like how much effort does it really take for us to learn literally 10 words? And, and it changes the perspective. Like and it perception. totally opens up so much. It is completely disarming. Food is an amazing weapon for diplomacy. And language is an amazing disarmor. I completely agree. That, that's exactly why I said that I love France was because yeah. you go there and you speak the language and you have a completely different experience. Completely different experience. I, I couldn't agree more. And so I think those two things make a big difference. But um, the reason I've been able to sort of soak up as much culture and really get to is because I've really taken the time, you know. And, and, I, and I think, you know, like at first people were sort of like amused by it. And now they're like, they really warmed up to it. You know, I've cooked with all my friends' mothers. I've sat and heard stories. I've that, really taken that time to do that. Cooking with mothers. Yeah. Dude, that is an experience. Totally. And, and and often translated through others, right? But I have relationships with people who I've never, like, I have five or six relationships with people around town, whether it's the guy who I buy, you know, like, fan coils from Indira, to the guy who I buy spices from in Sukal Kabir, to the people that I work with at Friday Market yeah. in Fujera. And, like, we have not had a single word of English spoken between us. We do not speak the same language, and I've known them for five years. And, like, I see them, and it's like seeing friends. And, like, we have that relationship. And I, I don't think they know anything about my life. I don't really know much about their life, but we have a relationship. But in that moment, that relationship exists, totally. and that connection exists. And it's a very true and very real. But you, you have to try. You have to leave the marina. I completely agree. I know that scares everybody. I know. You have to leave, you have to leave <laughs> Dubai. Yeah, you, have to leave, you, know, you have to leave sort of the, the typical places that... Um, that have become so expat-centric and, and decide to be a citizen. It's a total and fundamental switch, but it's also a completely a choice. It is voluntary. You have to volunteer. This comes back to the point that you made earlier about getting off your ass and doing something. 100%. Right. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's so much more rewarding, you know? But if you come here and you live in a rented apartment and you buy IKEA furniture and you go to work, and you complain that it's expensive, you're going to have exactly the same experience that everyone else has. It's very easy to have that experience. Yeah. And it, it may, the, the country is made in that sense Correct. where it's very easy to do it that. It is completely a pay-to-play system. Yeah. So if you want to come here and do just that, that is perfectly fine, and it will give you the utility that you desire and probably extract a lot more value out of you than you out of it. And, and it'll be sad because you'll miss out on the hidden but totally present soul that this city this has. I completely agree with you. Could not agree more. There's something that I want to ask you, a little bit off-center, but what important truth do you do very few people agree with you on? Ooh. Um, probably the one that I've been talking about, which is that, you know, like Dubai, you know, like, it's very easy to look at and be critical of the place. Um, of the place. And, and like, of course, it's not as socially liberal as I would like it to be. And I think that, 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 you know, that it is 
that I find this city and this country to be remarkably advanced. That's the truth that I think. And I think, you know, like, okay, so people talk about discrimination and people talk about racism and people talk about socioeconomic warfare, but it's like, I'm not really sure which one of those things doesn't exist everywhere else. True. I haven't really found out. So, okay, it's a little bit more in certain ways present here, fine. But, I mean, the truth that I think that, you know, is that this is an extraordinary place to be a young professional. There's no better place in the world. And that is a truth that I think is fundamentally infallible that a lot of people don't agree with me on. I will take that as I, and I completely agree with you on that actually. Hmm. Um, I don't want to take more of your time, <laughs> although I could go on for hours. Not at all. Um, so last question. Yeah. Tell me about three experiences that have changed your life the most. Wow. In Dubai or in general? In general, across your life, across the 31 years that you've been on. The <laughs> uh, three experiences that have totally changed my life. Wow. Um, oof. Okay. I would say the first experience, um, was probably when I was a kid there was this ice cream man from Egypt that used to sit outside of our apartment and he in would France? sell ice cream no in, in New York City and um, you know it's funny I didn't even know he was Egyptian at the time I, I don't think I knew anything about him but um, over the years like we had this amazing relationship with him and he would give us free ice cream and I knew that he had you know very little money and I think I guess the generosity that he showed to me as a kid, I think was something that really sort of affected uh-huh. me. Um, How old are you at this point? I don't know. I must have been six, seven, or eight. You know, like very young. Very young, okay. But it's funny because, you know, shamefully, I, I don't actually remember his name, but we just called him the ice cream man. <laughs> and um, I, I, I've like tr- tried to go back to the same street corner where he always has been in New York City, and his son took over the business, and it's kind of an amazing oh, wow, story. Okay. But... Um, I think that, like, the generosity that I that I received from people like that, um, whoever sent the forward of that email, oh, that email, yeah, and then put me in Dubai, I think that was an extraordinary experience. Um, I, and I think probably uh, culinary school and um, cooking in some amazing restaurants. I really, I worked for some people that really took the time um, when they shouldn't have with me. I think we're all always seeking better mentors. And, and the sad truth is we get to a point where we have to actually be our own. Um, and that's a very hard realization. Yeah. But I think the ice cream guy, whoever sent the forward on the email, and the third was that I, I worked for this general manager um, of a hotel in New York City named uh, Antoine Burberry. And, you know, instead of firing me the 9,000 times he should have for being a total arrogant prick, <laughs> he would like... <laughs> just would, would take so much patience and time with me. And that was something that I still think about all the time is that, um, you know, often when people are in need, they think that generosity is a substitute for compassion. And I think what I learned from him was that what I needed was somebody to take the time and teach me uh-huh. rather than to just give me generosity. Um, and generosity sometimes means ignoring bad behavior. Like, oh, just forget it. Don't worry about it. Bushing it off. But, right. And I think that those are the three kind of things that I think about a lot. Um, he taught me this amazing idea that in hospitality, you're likely not to make a lot of money. That's the truth. Um, it's very few people who make tons and tons of money in the restaurant business or in the hotel business. Um, but your real currency is grandchildren. And when I tried to understand what that meant, he's like, well, if I inspire you to go into the restaurant or the hotel business, you're my kid. And if you do it one more time, that's my grandkid. Oh, wow. And so how many grandkids do you want by the time that you're done? 
And I love that idea. And I think it really changed my idea of A, how I measure success and B, what I consider to be currency. How do you measure success? By grandkids. I, I, I want to have 25 grand passion grandkids, which means people that I have inspired to go into the business who have then inspired others to continue. So to you want that ripple into, effect? Yeah, 100%. I love it. I love the passion that you go at your business with and, <laughs> and the stuff that you do. It's it's honestly brilliant. It's been an amazing time sitting down and, and spending this, this half hour, 45 Absolute minutes. Absolute pleasure. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you, dude. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions or concerns, please do send them my way. Um, you can find me on Instagram at A-M-A-D-M-I-A-A-N. You can find Andre um, usually at Kismet or one of his... 14 bakers and spices um until next week take care